And this time on Culture File, a few more toes in the weird waters of NFTs with our tech soothsayer, Professor Ashling Kelleher. If you heard our Culture File debate on NFTs, you may remember that blockchain technologies promise, among other things, to change how artists control and benefit from their work. But that's only the very tip of the fatberg of possibilities, as Culture File discussed with Ashling Kelleher. It's quite kind of protean. I think that's one of the difficulties with talking about NFTs in that they're, they're almost, they are everything, it turns out. They are a kind of way of gambling and a lot of sports people who have a, a brand are, are using them. But they are beginning to have lots of uses in, in, in the non-gambling world where people are trying to use them as a, as a kind of an alternative way to, to run their business, to fund their business. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you are seeing kind of positive stories as well, especially for artists who are kind of turning to this idea of art production and particularly the idea of having royalties. Traditionally in art, the legal model has been you know, the artist creates the art, sells it to a collector, curator, gallerist. You know, the gallerist or the representative takes a huge chunk of that. The artwork continues to appreciate, but the only person who actually kind of benefits from that is, you know, the collector, the curator, the owner. So in this case, I think NFTs or this kind of uh, the blockchain approach to art, where there is this sense of as the artwork proliferates or is exchanged from um, one person to the next, there is this digital track record and those royalties continue to accrue for the original artist. So I think this in some ways is something that seems to be kind of handing greater opportunity to artists to, you know, fund their work, to create work and, and to kind of do away with that model of the starving artist, you know, the Van Gogh who doesn't make any money while he's alive. But the idea that you could make a, a decent living. Yeah, you have something like OpenSea. Tell us a bit about OpenSea because this is one of the services that's sort of squatting on the blockchain and, and a lot of people's activity in NFTs has to go through OpenSea and that it seems to be a very uh, delicate, uh, fragile uh, service. Well, it's more, it's more like a, a, a marketplace where you can purchase these types of NFTs. In fact, I, did, I was looking at it the other day because I came across a very interesting gentleman, professor uh, Professor Brian Fry, who's at the University of Kentucky, and he's a, a legal scholar, a law professor, but also a filmmaker and an artist. And he's been doing some rather interesting things and, and selling them on OpenSea, where he's actually inspired by Yoko Ono's Grapefruit Project, which was, was kind of a series of like 80 kind of like poems or sets of instructions for people to um, carry out. And she released, I think, two of those. It's a kind of a beautiful piece of conceptual art. So he decided to do something similar. But in this case, rather than thinking of kind of quotidian things for people to do in their everyday life, he wanted to take ideas from legal scholarship, like what is plagiarism, what does it mean to steal something, what is copyright, create them into these short pieces of, you know, three or four sentences, and you can purchase them for the kind of equivalent of about six or seven hundred dollars, up to twenty-five thousand dollars, to own this NFT, which is in itself a commentary on, you know, the essential quandaries of NFTs, the fact that they're not reproducible, but they're a signifier without a reference. They don't really exist. You can't show them to people. They're kind of based on good faith, which is very different from how legal precedent works. And because there isn't much legal hoo-ha about the regulation of NFTs yet, I think his work, to, to my mind, there's something rather intriguing there because the thing in it itself is a is a discussant about its own 
matter. It's only lack of matter in existence. There is a new technology here and it, there's a very strange kind of um, bifurcation of reaction to it. And one part is this sort of incredible venture funds and, and perhaps autonomous venture funds throwing money at anything that uses the word crypto in the title. And then there's the sort of slightly bewildered and and slightly irritated <laughs> approach to, to this new wave of technology, which I might say comes from yourself? Yeah, I mean, maybe I should have more FOMO, you know, about this, but right now I'm very content not being part of this whole thing. I just, it's a tulip craze. It's so, I mean, obviously, you know, when it comes to something, what is a value? You know, something is as valuable as whatever it is somebody's going to give you money for. You know, if the world says those sneakers are worth $20,000, well, then I guess they are because somebody's willing to pay that much for it. My main concern with a lot of this is that uh, just the actual amount of energy being consumed and created by it. And I think also because of the type of research that I do right now, I'm waiting six months to get a chip that I need to do uh, machine learning on my project that I do that's needed in a hospital. So I'm unable to do my research to assist stroke survivors because crypto miners are purchasing all these chips and it's just impossible to get them. And they've gone from $6,000 to $12,000. So So for me, there's a real world consequence of like, I feel that I'm trying to do something of tangible benefit and I can't do it because people are generating, you know, pictures of monkeys. Well, at least you've got a good reason for hating it. It's not, it's not, it's not just, uh, it's not just random ire. You've got actually some concrete reasons. I appreciate that, Luke. I like to see my (laughs) hatred validated and approved of. I'm going to assume approved of also. Thank you. So what's what's the end game here? Well, you know, if you're you're saying that you know people can't get chips to do research that's important, and the tech bros can get all the money they want for frothy unicorns, how do we get out of that? I, I really like the work, for example, of I think we've mentioned them in the program before, the critical engineers, and they have this really beautiful project right now called Harvest, and in that they're using wind power to create the energy for a computer that then is mining cryptocurrency to pay for climate change research. Okay, so to me, I'm like, that's one very strong answer to, that has a touch of irony about it, but also works. The idea that, you know, the worst part of this is, you know, the cryptocurrency is happening anyway. It's like the same idea that, you know, if you are very interested in climate change, every time you get on a plane, you know, that's really kind of denigrating all your efforts, you know, to use um, LED bulbs, for example. But then the answer to that as well, the plane's going to fly anyway, so it doesn't really matter one way or the other if you're on it or not. But this idea that like, okay, if this mining is going to happen, at least it could be used for something useful, which is like climate change research and kind of dissemination of ideas about that because that's, you know, that's a really cataclysmic fundamental problem that will make all of this nonsense definitely go away when everything's on fire. Great. And if you want to know more about NFTs and artists, open up Twitter now and you'll find that at CultureFilePod has tweeted a link to our CultureFile debate. NFT, wow or WTF?